Amen. You may be seated, and you may turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. I'll be reading this evening verses 8 through 11. The fourth commandment. Hear the word of God. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. And he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Almighty God, we come to you before your word. Um, As humble servants, we desire that you speak. We desire to be fed. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would uh, be with us. uh, Open my mouth to speak words of encouragement to your people. Open their ears that they might hear the risen, exalted, living Christ. We ask these things in his name. Amen. Now I will try not to be distracted by the blinking red and blue lights outside, and please don't be either. Let's tune ourselves into the Word of God right now. Okay, so this, as the title suggests, is uh, part two of uh, a two-part looking at the fourth commandment. Uh, Last time, we saw a number of things about the Sabbath Command. We saw that, in fact, it's not something which just springs up in redemption. It is built into the very fabric of creation itself. Uh, that's one reason, why, a, very, a very strong reason why I believe the command abides. It's a creational ordinance. We saw also, with respect to Israel, that the fourth commandment is part of a pattern. We have to look outside of Exodus, but we see nearly consecutively through different books of the Bible, that each commandment is broken in a very public, in a very observable observable way. We saw last time about this unnamed man in Numbers 15 out picking up sticks on the Sabbath, and, and people are not sure what to do with him, and so he's brought to Moses, and what does God say? He must be put to death. So if we're seeing these, each time we see the commandment, we go elsewhere in the Old Testament to see the breaking of it. Um, If we're evaluating Israel's performance, uh, we could say this. I'll say this for the sake of my son, who is a big baseball fan. Uh, So far, Israel is zero and four at keeping the Ten Commandments the way God intended them to. Indeed, the breaking of God's Sabbath was a key reason why the Old Covenant was terminated and why Israel was sent into exile. We read that from Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 21. What what happened? God says, They profaned my Sabbaths. Then I said I would pour out my wrath 
upon them. What is the pouring out of God's wrath? It is, it is the covenant judgment that comes, and they are sent out into exile. And, and here he speaks about that in terms of being because they profaned his Sabbaths. But, of course, we saw as well as we looked at the fourth commandment in relation to Israel, we then looked at it in relation to Jesus Christ. And we saw great hope, didn't we? We, we saw that because Christ keeps all of the commandments and he keeps the fourth commandment not only narrowly. We saw that on uh, Saturday, he goes into the place of worship. He worships in the synagogues. But more than that, he keeps it broadly. In fact, we could say that his whole life, his entire life history, is a life of working and then entering into final, consummate, complete rest. That is the note that is struck when he hangs on the cross and says, it is finished. Work is finished. He then enters in to rest. Uh, So we too, if we are in Christ, we have entered into the heavenly enjoyment of rest which Christ had when he ceased from his earthly labors. That is the already to our Sabbath. Now there is a not yet as well, but we have that already. Think about the not yet Um, We can think about this in relation to a number of things. Think about marriage. Right now, we continue uh, marrying. But the day is coming when we will come to the great marriage supper of the Lamb. Marriage will cease because all that it entails will be brought to its completion and fulfillment. But even now, just as we await entering into that full day of rest, it's not fully here yet. So our week is punctuated, is given a rhythm of weekly Sabbath enjoyment. And so tonight, we'll not look at the fourth commandment in relation to Israel or the fourth commandment in relation to Christ, but rather we will consider particularly how the fourth commandment comes to us and what it is for us. And so uh, three points I'd like to look at tonight. Uh, First of all, and this will be kind of a sad point, uh, the disappearance of the Sabbath. Secondly, the delight of the Sabbath. And thirdly, of the duties of the Sabbath. And so let's think about these three things, disappearance, delight, and duties. Uh, and first of all, I'd like to address what, I'd, what I'm going to call the disappearance of the Sabbath, the disappearance of the fourth, commandments, uh, fourth commandment. Lots of Christians, many evangelicals, like to talk, uh, sometimes make big talk about the Ten Commandments, but often it seems that they are rather selective. Really, I'd say that most who talk about the Ten Commandments really want to keep eight commandments. Uh, what are the two that are dropped? Well, I think generally it's the Second Commandment, and it's also the Fourth Commandment. What has this disappearance of the Fourth Commandment cost us? Because Let's face it, I mean, if you, if you celebrate the Lord's commandment, if you obey it the way that I'm going to exhort you to and is part of the Reformed tradition, you're, you're kind of out of step with the rest of the church. You're kind of a, a weirdo, if I can put it that way. That's all right. <laughs> Better be a, a weirdo if that's walking with the Lord than out of step with everyone else, isn't it? But let's face it, it's definitely different. And so what has been lost as the Sabbath, I would say, has, you know, in the last hundred years, pretty much disappeared from the church's observance. Uh, maybe you've never thought about that, but um, it's hard to imagine for me 
anything else which has had a more profound impact upon the church and even upon the world as the church is to be uh, salt and light to the world than the disappearance of the Lord's day. What has it done? It has weakened and atrophied the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's weakened and atrophied her so that uh, she is a husk of her former self, in my opinion. And and my opinion is also that she was not doing all that well even before the loss of the Sabbath. She struggled throughout her history, but she struggles more even now. What about the disappearance of the Lord's Day uh, outside the church? Inwardly, we've been malnourished. Uh, Outwardly, well, insofar as the church is uh, itself weakened through less teaching and preaching, less contemplation of God on one whole day of seven, so also God's people are ill-equipped, very ill-equipped to interact with the world. And I've heard a number of uh, uh, right-wing radio pastors and pod, uh, radio announcers, uh, podcasters, I guess I get them all mixed up these days, uh, bemoaning the failures of the church and pastors, you know, preventing uh, the rise of wokeism within our culture. Well, there's a sense in which that's true, but uh, I'm not sure that these people would like this pastor's prescription uh, for the answer to that. And I think in large measure, the answer to that and many other ills that the church and the world face would be a return to the Lord's Day. What a powerful effect, a return to celebrating, to devoting one whole day in seven. How that would utterly change the church of Jesus Christ. And I think also profoundly affect the world. Perhaps you know of this actually happening in the not too distant future, uh, excuse me, not too distant past. <laughs> in the case of Eric uh, Liddell, or Little, I think it's Liddell. I hardly ever endorse movies, but uh, if you have not seen the movie uh, Chariots of Fire, of course, I hardly endorse that you go do that. Uh, Eric Liddell was a Scottish runner who uh, came to the 1924 Olympics to compete in the 100 meter. And uh, that's what he worked for. That's what he trained for. That's what he sweated and bled for, is to compete in that 100 meter event. And then he found out that event takes place on the Lord's Day. And he said, uh, can't do it. I can't do it. I can't make the day that is supposed to be out about the celebration of God and his glory about mine. And so instead, Liddell chose to compete in the 400-meter uh, event, one which he was ill-trained for. In, in, in high school, I ran track. Um, I, I, I ran the 400. I didn't run the 100. It's quite a different kind of a athlete. I would have done very poorly in the 100. I didn't do that great in the 400 either. But I know I would have done horrible if I had to switch gears. Uh, before, uh, before this event took place, someone, not the person pictured in the movie, came up to him and gave him a note which read, It says in the good book, He that honors me, I will honor, wishing you the best of success. Well, God did honor the one who honored him. And Liddell won not only that, uh, that 400-meter run, but he set a new Olympic record in the world. 
noticed. The world sat up and noticed when he did that. Not only is there a disappearance of the fourth commandment, I'd like us to now look at what I will call that. So that's the sad point. Now let's look at a more encouraging, uh, should be happy uh, part of tonight's uh, sermon, which is the delight, the delight of the Sabbath. Now why, where do I get that language? The Sabbath being a delight. Well, many of you may know the answer to that. It's great, straight out of scripture. Isaiah 58, Isaiah 58, 13 and 14. Let me read that to you. Listen. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Do you hear the two times in that passage the prophet refers to the Sabbath as a delight? If you call the Sabbath a delight in the holy day of the Lord, honorable. He says, turn back from doing your pleasure on this day and make it a a day of delight, delight in God. If you think of, and I'll slip back and forth between calling it the Sabbath and the Lord's Day. My preferred language is the Lord's Day. But if you think of the Lord's Day as um, a, a, a matter of things that you can do and you can't do. Oh, there's all these things I can do and things I can't do. If you think of that, of the Lord's Day that way, you, you, you've ruined it. It's no longer a delight. It's a kind of a prison that traps you. It should be a delight because it summons you to do something on that day with unrivaled freedom and liberality. It's the freedom of laying aside all worldly concerns. You know, think about it. Uh, there's days where we think about how will the bills be paid? Uh, how are we going to get all the housework done? And now I guess this summer is uh, uh, coming upon us, the yard work done. How am I going to get my homework done? How am I going to get ready for that job uh, work that I have to get to tomorrow? God says, I give you permission to lay all of these things aside on one day and to enjoy me, to, to delight in me the whole day long. The language of delighting, it, you should think of that as the language of indulgence. Indulge yourself on the Lord, on God's holy day. If I could put it this way, gorge yourself on the Lord on that day. One of my friend calls it a day of holy gluttony. Christians are not supposed to be given to gluttony, but this kind of gluttony is okay. The Tenth Commandment, which says you shall not covet. Well, there's one thing you, sh- you can covet, and you should covet. Knowing God, possessing God. In fact, I would say if you do that, you're not breaking the Tenth Commandment. You're keeping the First Commandment. Binge on God on the Lord's Day. Engage in holy gluttony. Uh, You've heard me, uh, perhaps in the past, I've used this language, and I'll call attention to it tonight, refer to the Lord's Day or the Sabbath as the market day of the soul. One of my former professors, uh, Jim Dennison, wrote a book called 
the market day of the soul, which describes the Puritan celebration of the Sabbath, of the Lord's Day. And that's why I often use that phrase. Uh, You see, the market day, what was market day? Market day is when you go and all of the the wonderful things that are fine on some days to just delight in and to go and to window shop and to look at and to buy and to just, you know, have a fun time doing. On, on Sunday, on the Lord's Day, it's the market day of the soul. <laughs> it's the day of the soul to indulge in, in buying what the Lord gives to us. Uh, Denison, in that book I mentioned, quotes the Puritan Lewis Bailey saying this, The Sabbath day is God's market day for the week's provision, wherein he will have us come unto him and buy of him without silver or money the bread of angels and the water of life, the wine of the sacraments and the milk of the word to feed our souls, tried gold to enrich our faith, precious eye salve to to heal our spiritual blindness, and the white raiment of Christ's righteousness to cover our filthy nakedness. How beautiful is that? That is, I would dare say, even delightful. Don't you want that? Don't you want that? Well, you may say, um, Pastor York, you know, I I prepared uh, these six days to take care of all these things, but ah, next week is coming and it's going to be pretty tough and I I just can't let it go on Sunday. To that I would say, why not? Why is that not the case? If you really did prepare, and and we're going to talk about that in just a moment, do you not trust the Lord to take care of you? He'll take care of you if you simply do what he says and give yourself to him in um, just wholehearted worship. Do you not believe that if you honor him in this way, uh, he will not let you fall into misery and ruin. In fact, he will cause you to flourish. Isn't that what is promised in Isaiah 50, 58? Consider the words of verse 14. He says this, I will make you, if, 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 you can, if you hold to my Sabbath as a delight, I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I don't know about you, but I want that. In fact, if you're struggling with anxiety or depression about what's happened in the previous week or what's coming in the next week, uh, perhaps you're having that not because you're, of what you're losing and giving one day and seven to the Lord, but perhaps the very thing you need to relieve you of anxiety and impression is a wholehearted, unencumbered, delighting in the Lord one day in seven where he says it's okay to lay aside everything else forget about everything else focus on me early early very early in the life of the church the language of the Lord's day came into view I already spoke about how early it is last week when I looked at uh, uh, Revelation 1.10, and we see that John is in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Uh, there's a debate even among conservative scholars as to when John would have written that book. I think it's best uh, written uh, a little later, sometime around 96 A.D. Um, 
but in a later dated by some scholars as early as 110 AD by Ignatius of Antioch, we read this. If then those who had lived according to the ancient practices came to the newness of hope, no longer keeping the Sabbath, but living in accordance with the Lord's day, on which our life also arose through him and his death. You see that? That's perhaps less than 20 years after John used those words in the book of Revelation. It's becoming the vocabulary. If the church is speaking that way early on, won't you as well? We've looked at the disappearance of the Lord's day, what should be a day in which we delight, the delight of the Lord's day. Now let us turn to the duties of the Sabbath, the duties of the Lord's day. And okay, here comes the practical guidance. Uh, what should you be doing on the Lord's Day? And I'm going to provide for you, I believe, a number of biblical things that are good and proper and right to do on the Lord's Day. And the first thing I would say is this. Prepare. Prepare. Uh, How do you prepare? Ironically, the way you prepare for the day of rest is working. And I mean working really hard. Consider verse 9 of chapter 20 of Exodus. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Where did the idea of a five-day work week come from? It didn't come from the Bible. The command concerning rest really deals a lot with work. If you haven't prepared for the Lord's Day by working hard those other six days so that you can have this one day to enjoy the Lord, it will not be a delight to you really at all. So uh, the first thing that you need to do regarding this day is prepare for it. Uh, Secondly, uh, it concerns worship. And this is really the heart of the Lord's Day, worship. Consider this from Leviticus 23.3. Sounds very similar, but there's a little different language from our passage. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. The Sabbath is called what? A holy convocation, a holy gathering. What is that? That's worship. The primary, and I mean the primary focus on Sunday, on the Lord's Day, should be one thing and one only, worship. Earlier, I referenced Ignatius of Antioch from the first century. Let me now read to you a reference which uh, some scholars would put as early as the second century. Again, so these are early, early Christian writings. This is from the Didache. But every Lord's Day, again, notice, This is not Reformed language. This is the Didache, probably second century. Every Lord's Day, gather yourselves together and break bread and give thanksgiving after having confessed your transgressions that your sacrifice may be pure. Uh, That is a focus on worship. That is how the church has seen the Lord's Day throughout her history. Now, I've said it should be a priority, and so let me ask the question, does that mean... Uh, Pastor York, are you saying that uh, I should be at morning worship and evening worship? And the short answer to that question is, yes. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Why, uh, why is that? Well, if you say, 
Once is enough. Uh, there, there it is, my obligation. I've checked the check mark. I've, I've marked off that box. I'm done. What, what does that betray about our thinking? Well, it really betrays that spending time with God is not something that we would elect to do unless we had to do it. Now, that's, that's really not the way we ought to be thinking. If we want to say, well, I've done it once, and that means I'm free to spend the rest of the day the way I want on my own interests, um, that's really not the way that we ought to be thinking about the Lord's Day. I would say this, unless you are providentially hindered, and there are providential hindrances which come up, which uh, from time to time prevent us from worshiping in morning and evening, but unless providentially hindered, gather for worship. I guess the main question would be, why would you not want to be? Why would anyone not want to gather and enjoy the Lord, to be fed from his word, to have fellowship with his people? The idea that I check my box and the rest of the day is free for me. What does that have to do with the concept of the Lord's day? From Revelation 1.10. Maybe that's the Lord's hour or the Lord's couple of hours. But that's not the Lord's day. Number three. Do all that you can to help others to enjoy the Lord's day to worship, and to rest from their labors. In this respect, um, I must commend my wife. Uh, She is very good about showing Christian hospitality on the Lord's Day, and that is a wonderful thing. Uh, But what if she never gets any help? What if she has to make uh, all the meal by herself? And uh, what if she's always cleaning it up by herself? Now, in saying these things, I'm you know, I'm indicting myself somewhat uh, as well here. Though when, when I can't do so, I do try to help her in preparation and even cleaning if I can. But kids, and I don't just mean my kids, uh, any other kids who are here or, or who are far, uh, help your mother to be able to enjoy the Lord's day as the Lord's. Help her and help others. Offer to do the dishes so that maybe she can just go off and read her Bible. That would be a wonderful thing. Number four, speaking of children and parents, catechize your children. Use the Lord's Day to catechize your children. Now, to catechize, I don't just mean teach them the catechism, Westminster Shorter and Larger Catechism. Yes, that's wonderful. Do that. Uh, catechize just means to instruct, to teach. Parents, if you never ask your kids what, did the, what was the pastor's sermon about today? Uh, something's, something's amiss, I would say. Something's wrong. That's a wonderful opportunity. They've just been there. They've just heard things. Maybe they've not comprehended every little bit. There's, uh, I try to get parts of the sermon to address different people, but hopefully they can pick up some things. But now if you're asking that question, parent, that means that you've probably had to listen a little more yourself to know what's going on so that you can then maybe walk them through some of the things that they, uh, they did hear or maybe that they didn't quite get. And so that's a wonderful opportunity for you. Fifthly, read God's word and books about God's word. If I came to you and asked you, uh, how are you doing on your Bible reading? How are you doing reading good Christian books? And you say, Pastor, uh, I never have time to do that, really. I don't ever have time. 
I'd say, why not? God gives us one day in seven where we can devote ourselves to him. And among other things we can do on that day is to read the Bible. Maybe memorize scripture as well. Uh, read godly books about the Bible and the Christian life. Next, I would say Christian fellowship. Christian fellowship. And again, like the previous point, if you say, well, I can never find the time to have believers over into my house. Uh, why is that? Yes, it is true that the focus should be on worship. But we don't meet the whole day in worship. There's a morning and an evening service. There's, there's ample time. There should be. Not every Sunday. We certainly don't do it every Sunday. But some Sundays to have believers over in your home. And if I, um, she didn't know I was going to bring this up. But Pam, you know, just think about it. 26 years of marriage, if we reflected on our life as husband and wife, would it not be the case that some of the just absolutely memorable moments would have been us going into the houses of other Christians? I can think of uh, Pastor Hall or Pastor Pipa and others, uh, Pastor Dengerink. And then us having people over into our house on the Lord's Day. I, I know that pretty much my wife would say, yes, those are some of the most memorable moments. Number seven, caring for the sick and for the needy. We read this in Luke 14, 3 through 6. Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. And they took him, uh, then he took him, this sick man who was there, and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen to a well on the Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? Because Jesus is making the point. It's... It's okay to do good, to help others, to serve others on the Lord's day as well. I mean, don't do that to the degree that you can't ever come to worship, of course. But we can do all of these things. Uh, What an excellent time to go and to ask your elders or deacons, who who is it in the church that might be having some struggles that I can go uh, visit, uh, stop by and encourage, or um, maybe we can decide to go by and, you know, um, help them out in some way. This, of course, puts doctors, I would say, in a very special category because, you know, uh, they are doing works of mercy. They, they may have to be, uh, it may be a challenge for them as they are called to help and even save lives on that day. They might be working some on that day, whereas others may not. There is, well, works of necessity. Uh, works of necessity. Your pipes burst. On Sunday morning, what do you do? Well, I can't fix that. I've got to go to worship. Well, I would say you probably fix your pipes. Uh, Your kids need help getting ready for church because, let's face it, when they're young, they they do need a lot of help. Sometimes when they're a little older, but certainly when they're young, they need help. That's work. Changing diapers. Uh, Making or at least finishing the food that you may serve to others. That's also work. But make sure that this work of necessity really is necessary. Make sure that it's necessary because uh, uh, it's necessary because you didn't fail to address it the other six days. College kids and soon-to-be college kids, remember, think about this. Um, I think it's very common in college to just uh, Saturday, just hang out, just to go do, loaf around, Eh, maybe think a little bit more about things on Sunday. Well, enjoy Saturdays. But unless you want to have no time to enjoy the Lord on Sunday, you're probably going to be spending some time in the library. Of course, there are other professions where necessity, works of necessity have to be done. Uh, the police and the firefighters. Uh, 
But what about a job where my boss says, hey, uh, you just need to work on Sunday, and it's not a work of necessity. Well, if, if he or she, when you consistently ask them, will not allow you some time off, then I think the, the thing that you need to do is to pray that the Lord would provide you some other work where you could honor him on that day. Now, as I'm wrapping up, you may be thinking, uh, well, there's all these things that you haven't talked about yet, Pastor York. Can I do this? And can I do that? And again, if, you, if that's what you're thinking, then I think you're slipping back into the wrong way to think about this day. It's not a list of what you can do and what you can do. It's not a prison for you. It is to be a delight. And I'm not going to become the Lord's Day police for you. I think you should just ask yourself, does doing this thing help me to to fulfill the primary duty of the Lord's Day, which is to worship. And if that's going on a walk or engaging in some recreational activity, then that's all right. One thing I would note is that it's really difficult to to devote yourself to the Lord wholly on this day by yourself. And I mean even, even outside of public worship. Yes, you do probably need a little time alone, but to spend the whole day outside of worship alone, don't do that. Find others with with whom you can engage, uh, singing, uh, fellowshipping with, perhaps reading the Bible. Now, you may be thinking to yourself at this point, Ah, Pastor York, now I see I've, I've blown it. I haven't observed the Lord's Day the way I should have. Don't despair. That's not what the purpose of this sermon is. And if you find that you have not kept this commandment or any of God's law, what are you to do? You are to look to Jesus Christ. And let me conclude with this quote from Matthew chapter 11. It's very appropriate that you think about Jesus Christ as your true source of rest. Matthew 11:28 through 30. Come to me all who come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly of heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. Let's pray.